Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, 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 welcome to tonight's California Haunts Radio. Look at that, I got my buttons pushed right. Welcome, everybody. We're on Friday night. Gotta love it. Friday night during the holiday season. Gotta love it even more. <clears throat> My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. Yeah, that's right. You got me for an hour, so you got to listen to me, blah, blah. So I'm going to be your host <laughs> for the next hour, and I want to welcome you guys because we have a great guest tonight, and uh, it's a topic that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. Believe it or not, when I was on Blog Talk all those years ago, I, excuse me while I move the mic and it makes some odd noise. I have been wanting to talk to somebody about Lizzie Borden, and for some reason, I could just never get it to, I don't know if get it together or get it going with somebody to do it, but it's taken up to this point, and I mean, we're talking, what, eight, nine years to get somebody with Lizzie Borden on, and the last night when uh, the te- we had all those technical difficulties, I was like, well, there's the curse again, got cursed again, you know, something's cursing me. But tonight, I actually get to talk about Lizzie Borden for the first time, and I'm really excited about it. Um, you know, uh, I don't know about a lot of you. We, I use Windows 10 on my computers, and my, my, my supercomputer over there um, does not like Windows 10, and no matter what updates. It's been running really good. I'm supposed to get you know the hard drive taken out because that's the one I usually do my shows on. And uh, yesterday, it actually took the new da- <laughs> the new update, the Windows 10, and now it won't stay started. So it's got definitely got to have work done. But this is my backup computer, so we're doing it on that one. But you know, there's like I have congestive heart failure and other and other other health issues going on. And you know, I've been hit with you have congestive heart failure, you have this, you have that. Nothing sparks fear into my body more than some more than that message that pops up on your computer that says Microsoft update available for Windows 10. I'll tell you. And there's one available for this computer, and because I'm doing the shows this week, there's no way in hell I'm putting the update on here. Because you don't know. Once those things go on, I don't know what it is about Windows 10 updates. Anyway, welcome. I'll, I'll get off my teeth over that one. See, I got that. I'm going to do David Letterman. That, that, that's my cue for my Windows 10. There it goes. Um, <laughs> I want to welcome you guys again. And I want to remind you that Sunday we're going to start, because I wanted to do this last year too and didn't get around to doing it. Sunday we are going to, I, well, we, we, I, around 6 o'clock Sunday evening, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to read from a Dickens' A Christmas Carol so that we can do this leading up to Christmas. So every Sunday I'm, I'm going to read a couple of chapters, you know, for a Dickens' Christmas Carol. Kind of cool. My, my, one of my business partners ordered me a new backdrop, too, so I'm going to have a nice homey festive backdrop that will be here on Tuesday. But um, starting Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific, be here because we're gonna we're, we're, we're gonna I'm gonna read Dickens Christmas Carol to you guys. Anyway, welcome with the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. We're 35 strong up and down the state of California. Um, almost every city in California has a a small group of paranormal investigators in there representing my team. We're nonprofit. We're just out there. To, <clears throat> we're just out there to help people who feel they might have per, you know paranormal needs in their in their home. And uh, that's what we do. We don't do it for pay or nothing. So that's, like I said, that's what we do. We've been doing this for a long time, almost 18 years. You can visit our website at www.californiahaunts.org and check us out. We have a lot of case information on there and from past cases that we've done. 
and all that good stuff. You know, besides what I've been spouting all over the air this week. I mean, there's some really good and interesting cases on there. The radio site is www.californiahauntsradio.com. And now um, I've added these live videos to it. So if you can't get to YouTube or whatever, you can go to that site and you can see these videos live from that site. And if you want to subscribe, which I'm always looking for subscribers, you can actually, instead of having the hassle of having to go to YouTube, you can actually go to the .com site and subscribe to, our, to the videos from there. So it's a new option for everybody. We're going to get some fancy business cards and stuff too. Anyway, um, welcome, and I'm really excited tonight. We've got Rebecca F. Pittman, who is, has written a book about Lizzie Borden and uh, the whole token axe thing and all that, and that's how I felt with my computer today. And I'm excited to have her on. So without further ado, let's do this. Hello. How are you doing? I bet you didn't know you were getting a crazy woman, huh? Well, I tell you what, after hearing the haunted uh, Windows 10, I may be too frightened to go on with this show. <laughs> That's pretty spooky. <laughs> I really hate Windows 10. And it's not so bad with this computer, knock on wood, but that other computer hated every second of Windows 10 and it still hates it. Well, I, I, despise I, I applaud it. your tenacity to keep going. <laughs> I try. Honest to God, I try. You know, because the other computer is a lot better. You know, I hate to say it, but the other computer is, is, is a lot better um, computer, too. And let me see something. Nope, I don't want to mute you. I'm trying to do some. Oh, there we go. There's my settings. Um, so it's a lot better computer, but unfortunately, it just doesn't like Windows 10, and I really can't use it. So here I am on the backup. So tell me about yourself. I know you you not only wrote about Lizzie Borden, you wrote about some other historical figures as well. Uh, the series is called The History and Haunting of, and it began with the Stanley Hotel. So it was the history and haunting of the Stanley Hotel, and then the history and haunting of the Myrtles Plantation, and then the Lemp Mansion, uh, Salem Witch Trials, um, Lizzie Borden, and the book that came out uh, this past summer mm -hmm. was the history haunting of the palace of versailles and i was very flattered that i'm the only um, author they've allowed to write a book about their paranormal activity at the palace of versailles in paris so i was very very excited about that that's awesome i've, I've been to versailles i just i was supposed to go in some little thing called covid <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of ruined everybody's plans man so uh, I have to tell you this. Look at the size of this book. <laughs> wow. But it is full of pictures, so it's not as daunting as it looks. But, well, have you seen the Lizzie Borden book? I have not. That's like War and Peace. That's scary. Yeah, no, I, but I will read it, yeah. So, but it is too filled with photographs. So anyway, cool. That's cool, what cool, cool. doing in my spare time. Well, that's what happens, you know, with COVID, there's nothing else to do. I have a couple of books in the works, too, but I haven't quite finished them off. But, I mean, with COVID, what else are you going to do? You know what I mean? Just just right away. It did ruin my golf game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm really happy to be here. And I, Lizzie Borden is probably one of my top favorite subjects because it's such a fascinating case. It is a fascinating case, and you know, and I've looked at different, you know, accounts from it, you know, because you know, there's so much, so much information out there, and when you think about it, that movie with Elizabeth Montgomery was probably the closest to what actually transpired to to, to get Lizzie to the point she was at. I think. 
I, you know, when they talk about that stuff, because they don't show it actually happening, but they allude to the fact that her father had her, you know, doing stuff. Well, am I allowed to be candid in what I think? Go for it. A, she did not do it in the nude. I'm sorry, people, especially the men <laughs> there. She did not do it in the nude. There was no affair with the maid, and I do not in my heart believe there was anything um, going on between the father and the daughters. I found no evidence of that, and I spent five years on this book. Okay, okay. But there are guides at the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast that do leave that door open and think it's possible. I just, I didn't find anything, Charlotte, that pointed okay. in that direction. Sure, 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 sure. I understand completely. So did you have a chance to go to the house? Oh, many times. Yeah, I, actually, when I spent the night in Lizzie's room, um, I was in the middle of writing the book, and I was more focused on trying to get a feel of what it was like for her the night before, sleeping in that room, knowing she was going to get up in the morning and take a hatchet to her father and stepmother. So I was just really trying to feel the vibe and the fact that you can hear voices on the other side of the wall from where her oh. parents slept. That's just chilling to me that she could hear them probably murmuring, talking, getting up in the morning mm -hmm. to start their day. And she knows she's going to murder them that day. It's just. Ugh. I was thinking the other night about this and she wasn't a very big woman. She was five, four. Yeah, so you wonder how much rage she had because I mean, I, I'm not saying I, I've hit, uh, you know, I'm not saying I've broken somebody's skull, <laughs> you know, with a hatchet, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It just takes a lot of force to do what she did. Well, have you ever seen the hatchet though? I was surprised at how it looked like a woman's weapon. It's a shingling hatchet, and the blade is only three and a half inches. Okay. It's, it looks diminutive when you see it in the display case at the Fall River Historical Society. When you see that, it changes everything you thought. Okay. I could actually see a woman being able to wield that thing, and I don't know that it would be that big a deal. Abby was not tall. They were almost the same height, and Andrew, right. who was almost six feet, was lying down on the sofa. So I don't think it was really that hard. Mentally, okay. yes. Physically, no. Okay, because I was wondering about that because she's not, I mean, she's, she's shorter than I am. So, I mean, to have that strength. But then again, when, when, when you do have mental problems, you know, these people do tend to have extra strength with them, you know, as they're doing stuff. So maybe that was that, that was part of it, too. You know, she not only had, a, had, had like you say, a woman's weapon, but she also had that, 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 that you know, that, that thought behind her that she was going to do this no matter what. Well, there's an adrenaline rush. When mm -hmm. you, I mean, can you imagine all the buildup? Plus, Abby switched her plans that morning. So you've now got this extra bent-up stress and tension because I think Lizzie thought Abby was going to be in their bedroom and had it planned. Instead, Abby was in the guest room cleaning up because uh, John, their Uncle John Morris had spent the night the night before. And Bridget, who was supposed to be at a certain place outside cleaning the windows, decided to stop and chat with the maid next door. So she wasn't where she was supposed to be either. So now you've got this bent up. I've got to do it now. And mm -hmm. my plan's already falling apart kind of thing. So there's a lot of adrenaline. 
So let's talk about that. Let's, let's go into that particular day. Like you say, she could hear them talking, you know, when they were getting up in the morning. So well, what was her, in your opinion, you know, from doing your research, what, what, what was that day like for her? Uh, she was the last one down to breakfast. And um, uh, so Bridget was up early, as always. Uh, everyone was still sick because they had, they, we believe they were poisoned Tuesday night, uh, that poison had been put in the milk. Uh, Abby, even the day before the murders, went across the street and told the doctor that she thought they'd been poisoned. So Bridget's not feeling great. She's up trying to fix them breakfast. Um, Abby gets up next, mm -hmm. comes to the kitchen, and makes the announcement to Bridget um, that John Morris is there. And Bridget, who sleeps in the attic, looks surprised and said, where did he sleep last night? And Abby tells her in the guest room and that he'll be down um, for breakfast. Then Andrew comes down, he um, goes out to the outhouse, which is part of the barn, throws out his slops. Some people assume slops, the bucket pail is, mm -hmm. you know, their toilet. But it's also shaving water, you know, that they would do sponge baths, whatever. It's just dirty water. Throws that out back, comes in, has breakfast, cleans his teeth in the sink, <laughs> in the kitchen. And Lizzie comes down and hands him a letter to mail for her when he goes out. And I believe that at 9 o'clock, the doorbell or front door, uh, that a messenger showed up with a note for Abby. And that Andrew answered the door, handed the note to Abby, said, see ya. I'm going to go make my rounds at the bank and everything else. John Morse leaves at the same time. And when they leave by the side door, um, Andrew yells, come back for supper, which to them is the noon meal. And that's how the day started. Lizzie's left sitting at the table in the kitchen. And all of a sudden, Bridget is overcome with nausea, runs out to the backyard and is throwing up against the fence when Andrew leaves to go downtown. And that's how the morning begins. Whoa, okay. So you suspect that uh, she had put poison in her food the night before then? I believe she put it in the milk, yes. Okay. And we do know that Andrew... Uh, was pretty sick and he had the habit of pouring milk all over his toast, all over his bread, which that's going to absorb even more because mm -hmm. that bread's just going to sit in your stomach. Right. He was not doing well. That's why he came home the day of the murders and laid down on the couch for a little while. Uh, plus Abby was gone and he didn't know that the note said there's a sick friend and for her to go see him kind of thing. Uh, the note was a, was an alibi. It was to show Lizzie that Abby had to leave the house. When mm -hmm. actually Abby was headed to the bank to meet Andrew to sign a deed for the Swansea farm, which the Bordens owned, to put it in her name. And they were trying to keep it from Lizzie. And it didn't even come out really in the trial, which is partly why Lizzie got acquitted, was they couldn't figure out her motive. I mean, Andrew was about to turn 70. She would have gotten his, her inheritance fairly soon. Mm -hmm. But she needed to stop Abby from going to the bank and signing that deed because it would have taken a huge chunk out of her and Emma's inheritance, her sister Emma. And, and there's some things in the book that I'm really proud of, some new evidence that I found, including someone that came to see Andrew four days before the murder 
and I tracked him down over Ancestry.com, and it turned out to be one of Lizzie's cousins who was there to interview as the overseer for the Swamp Sea Farm for a brand new cattle deal that Andrew was putting together with Uncle John Morse. So there's all these little moving parts and Lizzie was this one step ahead of them the whole time. It's fascinating how she knew everything they were doing. Is that because, well, pretty much like you say, the walls were thin in the house. So obviously they probably didn't realize that she could hear their conversations too when they were talking about this stuff. Well, they had a habit, the three of them, John Morse, Abby, and Andrew, of always sitting in the sitting room to, to talk. Right. It's right beneath her bedroom. And they're the same size. It's like they're duplicate rooms, and they have connecting fireplaces. I put forth the theory, because they weren't using the fireplaces anymore, they had radiating heat now, mm -hmm. that with those flues open, the straight tunnel down, could she have listened to them that way? Because most people thought she sat on the stairs to listen to them. But mm -hmm. I did that experiment, and it was hard. It's very hard to hear them. Uh, and back in that day, it, they were on a, the second busiest street over from Main Street. It was clock, clock, clock horses and, and, and trappings and carriages. And there, she was surrounded by businesses. Mm -hmm. That's why she hated it there. Laundry here, two livery stables, a restaurant, Chinese, you know. Uh, and it was noisy. And I've sat there and... You can't get too far down the steps without someone sitting in that sitting room couch seeing your feet. It's basically about the third stair down is as far as you can go without Abby having seen her sitting there. So that's my theory. When I did a book about Limp Mansion, that mansion was built the same time Lizzie's house was. And I had my friends there do an experiment. They had the same stacking chimneys, fireplace mm -hmm. blue, and they said you could hear people through it. The reason I couldn't do it at the Lizzie Borden house is they have walled over her fireplace. She, I believe she's the one that had it walled over when she and Emma moved into Maplecroft after the trial. Makes it's sense. interesting that that's the only fireplace that got walled over. That does make a lot of sense though. Well, I've, I've gotten flack for it because I can't prove it. But I've done the best I can. I've done an experiment at a similar situation with stacking flues and, and fireplaces. Mm -hmm. But it just seemed like, to me, it would make sense. And she was right on top of everything they were doing. She, ha she had to have listened into them somehow. Right. Well, isn't it, I mean, as far as the evidence in that case, there have been so many theories that came out because nobody really knows what, transpired i mean everybody suspects what's going on with it but i mean nobody really knows solidly what transpired well that's what i read five thousand pages of trial transcripts all the police reports the witness reports the coroner's report and i read the five thousand pages of trial transcripts three times and the second time you start noticing the inconsistencies uh that by the third time because you've now got a feel for what someone said and where they said they were. By the third time through, it's almost like this little hand's coming off the page going over here. And mm -hmm. I started piecing together what I believe happened. And I do believe there were three dresses involved. 
uh, for the murders. I believe there were three hatchets, not two. And I believe there were three murder plots. And the really? first two failed, and she was now down to a hatchet the day of the murders to stop Abby from going to the bank. That's fascinating. Three, huh? Wow. So she I was pretty busy planning all this out. I mean, this is all premeditated stuff. Well, my favorite part, I think, is the three dresses. Because um, nine days before the murder, she was supposed to be in Marion, Massachusetts, to start her vacation. Emma, her sister, had gone to Fairhaven to start her August vacation. And Andrew and Abby were supposed to go spend August at the Swansea Farm, which is only 10 minutes. It's just mm -hmm. a bridge from the, from the house where they were murdered. So that's what you did back then, because it was so hot, you wanted to be close to the water. So all three of them, members of the family, had planned to go be by water. Well, Lizzie didn't go to Marion. She hopped off the train in Bedford, New Bedford. Mm -hmm. And when the police interviewed the boarding house woman that she stayed with, they said, was she ever out of your sight? And she goes, there was one Saturday morning. She was gone for an hour and a half and came back with some dress material. And I believe that material was used to create a dress that was much more loose fitting so that she could wear it over the stained Bedford cord dress that she murdered Abby in. They okay. found that dress, even though the police tore the place apart five times, it wasn't there. Well, it's because she was wearing it the whole time and had another dress over it that was a little more loose fitting. Because of those leg of mutton sleeves, you couldn't have done that. And I believe she took those off and, a one, and one inch of the hem off the bottom um, so can I tell you my favorite part? Go ahead. I'm well, good. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to read it to you real quick. Cause it's, sure. it's the actual, uh, questioning that attorney Knowlton asked her. They only got her on the stand once. And that okay. was the request. After that, she lawyered up. They never got another shot at her. Well, men, the word dress goods tended back then to mean a lot of things. It could be dress material. It could be dress patterns. It was just goods, right? Mm -hmm. So the policeman had reported back to attorney Nolton, hey, this lady said that she left uh, for an hour and a half and came back with, and I don't know if he just said dress goods, but attorney Nolton didn't hear material. And here's where he blew it. And this is my favorite part. So he has Lizzie on the stand and he said, did you buy a dress pattern in New Bedford? And say material. And I, I love this part. And she went, a dress pattern? You can almost hear her little wheels going. He goes, yes. She goes, uh, I think I did. And he goes, where is it? It is at home. Where at home? Um, <clears throat> where at home? Please. It, it is in a trunk. <laughs> it, it, in your room? Uh, no, sir. In the attic. Not made up meaning it hadn't been cut up and turned into a dress. And she mm -hmm. goes, oh, no, sir. He said, where did you buy it? She said, I don't know the name of the store. He goes, just the principal street there? She goes, I think it was on the street that Hutchinson's books bookstore is on. I'm not positive. And he said, what kind, what kind of one was it, please? 
She said it was a pink stripe and white stripe and a blue stripe corded gingham. What's amazing about this is he caught her. He, he didn't say material. Mm -hmm. I wondered, well, why didn't she just correct him and say, I didn't get a dress pattern. I got material. Well, the reason was she couldn't show him. If he'd said, well, what did you make out of it? Where is it? Show me the material. She had been wearing that dress over the stained, bloody dress she'd killed Abby in. And we don't know what happened to that dress. I don't know if she burned it because she did end up burning the new Bedford or the Bedford cord. Mm -hmm. So she's trapped. And instead of admitting or saying, no, it was a dress pattern, not material, she goes with it. And now she's trapped. It's in a trunk in the attic. Well, what the pattern look like? Well, it was pink and white stripe and blue gingham. Those are the exact two dresses the dressmaker made for her in May. And the murder for August. And so her mind just came up with the last thing she remembered having made. Now she's screwed, and they started sending police to the house, and Emma, would, her sister, kept answering the door and sending them away, saying, I can't find it. Because if, she, if they looked in it, they'd see it had been made up. They'd cut it all up and turned it into two dresses four months before. Oh. So she, uh, don't you love that, though? That is awesome, yeah. And, and just because Knowlton messed up and said dress pattern instead of dress material. And so finally, Lizzie's in jail after the inquest. They held her over. So Emma's home alone, and the police keep coming saying, we want to see the dress pattern. And so finally, Emma goes to Mr. Jennings, which is Lizzie's attorney, and said, we mm -hmm. got a problem. If I hand that to them, they're going to know she's lying. And they're going to say, why is she lying about a dress? So she goes, Emma goes to visit Lizzie in jail and I guess tells her and Lizzie blows up and yells, Emma, you've given me away. Mm -hmm. I said, no, I only told Mr. Jennings what he needed to know for your defense. So there's the three dresses are a new Bedford cord that was made for her in May, four months before the murders that she got paint on. Mm -hmm. so ruined. And I think that's partly why she used it to murder Abby, because she's going to throw it away anyway. Then the dress she had made with the material from Bed New Bedford. And then when they asked her finally on Saturday to hand over the dress she'd been wearing on Thursday, the day of the murder, she handed them a completely different one. So there's three dresses. And the reason we know that is all of the people interviewed on the witness stand said that's not the dress. It was light blue, not dark blue. And her best friends even said the dress she was wearing the day of the murders, they'd never seen it before. Okay. They described it with a box pleat, so it was much more loose. Uh, I love men because the officer didn't know how to explain it. He goes, it had a bosom in the stomach, meaning it poofed out down here. <laughs> and that the pigeon dresses were popular back then, which did poof. Mm -hmm. And her friend Alice tried to loosen it for her the day of the murders because she looked like she was going to faint. Lizzie mm -hmm. stopped her and said, I'm, I'm not going to faint. My clothes are loose. And she stopped her from touching it. So I think the other dress was underneath it. So did Emma know what she had done? I believe after studying all of this, 
and I don't know this for sure, but I think Emma was in on the fact that she was going to kill Abby. Okay. Uh, Emma even admitted that she disliked Abby even more than Lizzie did. Mm -hmm. I don't think she thought Andrew was going to die. And to be honest, I don't think he was. That's why there's so many hatchets. The hatchet that killed Abby was brand new. And they know this because of the head wounds. The bone had gold gilt mm -hmm. that had scraped off. That's a brand new hatchet because they, they had the gold gilt edge on them. But the hatchet that killed Andrew was old. They, the, the coroner was showing that a brand new hatchet wouldn't even fit his wounds. It had to have been one that was honed down over the years. And they were two completely different hatchets. So I think she killed Abby. And while Bridget was running around out there doing the windows, I think she slipped out in the backyard and pitched it over the back fence. We do know that in the next year, some kids playing ball did find a brand new hatchet up on the roof of the barn behind Lizzie's house. Okay. Um, and then I think she was going to leave. She's got the dress on underneath. I think she was going to get out of there and go find a place to dump that dress because it's August. It's brutal. It's humidity. And she's wearing two dresses. Mm -hmm. So she tried to get Bridget to go with her. Because if she left Bridget there, they'd have hung her. A dead mm -hmm. Abby upstairs with an Irish immigrant maid and no one else around, they'd have hung her. And, and Lizzie couldn't do that to her. So she kept trying to get her to leave. She goes, hey, there's a sale of dress goods over at Sargent's for only eight cents a yard. And Bridget goes, I know, I'm going to have some, but I don't feel good, and I'm going to go up and lie down. And then she tried again. Are you going to be going out? I don't know. And when Bridget couldn't go, and here's the kicker, Andrew came home early. He normally comes home at 11, but because Abby didn't show up at the bank because she's mm -hmm. dead, he came home to see what happened to her. And he laid down on the couch, left his shoes on, kept his feet on the floor and just leaned over. And I believe was thinking she's going to realize she went to the wrong bank or whatever she's doing and come home. And Lizzie killed him. She was trapped. She's got Abby upstairs dead. She knows the minute he sees it, he's going to know it was her. So if he hadn't come home early, I don't think he would have died. And that's the sad mm -hmm. part. You're not going to throw a hatchet away if you're going to use it again in a little while. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, so she had to go to the cellar and get one of their old ones to kill her dad because she'd thrown the one she killed Abby with over the fence. So what you're, what you're saying is you think this was completely motivated by money and property where she knew she, she was going to lose out a lot of money. That's what I believe. I also think her relationship with her father had deteriorated. Uh, mm -hmm. The house was a house of hate by then because Andrew had done some things for Abby that the two sisters thought he should have done for them. He gave Abby's half-sister a house. Uh, they were watching their inheritance being whittled away, basically, because he was doing nice things for his wife, and that wasn't their real mother. Right. So, yeah, I think it was greed. But I mean, to come up to with, with the way she did it, I mean, she had thought about this for a long time. Talk about premeditated murder. I love you for saying that. Everybody thinks it was a spontaneous act of rage that morning. She'd been planning it since April, if not farther out than that. 
she was getting the poison rounded up. Um, she was the the pigeons had been killed by then by her dad. There was all of this tension building, and 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 suddenly John Morse is making trips here almost every month. And he and Andrew mm -hmm. would actually go walk around town to have a private conversation because they were getting this cattle deal ready to go. In fact, John Morse had just moved over 80 wild Mustang horses and was hiding them to move them on to, the, to the, their new cattle ranch in Swansea after the deed was signed and Andrew, and Andrew gets murdered. So he had to hurry around and say, don't bring the horses and all of this stuff because he was the one everybody suspected first because he showed up out of nowhere the night before with no luggage. Mm -hmm. And it's all because they were going to get the deed signed the next day and they were trying to keep it on the down low so that Lizzie wouldn't know what they were doing. It was a mess. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds confusing. It's a mess. I mean, and then when you go back and think about it, did Lizzie talk to her sister at all about any about her concerns about you know the property and all that, or was it just something she gave to herself? We don't know. Okay. But I do believe they, the sisters probably had a lot of conversations, and we do know that that clandestine trip that Lizzie jumped off the train in New Bedford mm -hmm. the Saturday that she disappeared for an hour and a half, she actually caught the electric train over the bridge to Fairhaven, which is where her sister was staying. She'd just ridden on the train with her sister. Why did she need to go hop over there and see her all of a sudden? And then she asked Dr. Bowen to send a telegram to Emma right after Andrew's body is discovered. And it's, she said, don't tell her all. Okay. She said, and the reason she gave was there's an elderly woman where she's staying and it might be too much for her. I think it was she didn't want Emma to know yet that Andrew bit the dust too. Right. They were. I think she knew Abby was, but like I said, Andrew came home early, and so Lizzie kind of told him, "Don't put everything in there. Just say you need to come home." Mm -hmm. So I, I find that interesting. Now back to the poison she used. What exactly? What was the poison? Do they know? Yeah, it was arsenic. Huh. Okay. They called it the inheritance poison back then because so many people used it to knock off rich Uncle Harry to get their inheritance early. But I shouldn't laugh. Um, no, but what she did was ingenious because back then, to get the color green, mm -hmm. had to mix arsenic with copper. And green had suddenly become the color. They didn't ha really have emerald greens and bright greens before. And so suddenly it's ball gowns and it's flocked wallpaper until they realized people were dying from it. Women were wearing these dyed silk gowns and it was seeping into their skin when they got sweaty from dancing. And then the flocking on the wallpaper would come off and you've got arsenic particles floating around. So... We don't know if Andrew asked her to pick a color for the to paint the outside house or if it was her idea to say, I'm so tired of this ugly old house, let's paint it. Mm -hmm. And because everybody was not getting along, I think Andrew thought, yay, here's something that'll placate her, give her you know, sense of pride in the house. You pick the color. She picked green. And when the guy came over to mix the paint in the barn, she wasn't home. She missed him. She marches over to his house at night to tell him, I'm not really happy with that color. Can you come back in the morning? 
so that he'll have to mix it again. Mm -hmm. And she's standing right there, which came out during the testimony. She stood right there and watched him mix it. And he left the tubs there overnight. So she's got the arsenic that they needed to create the green paint. And mm -hmm. the barn got broken into. So I think that's really interesting. The barn was broken into in April and in May. And April was when the hatchet went missing. And we believe she stole it so that Andrew would quit chopping the heads off of the pigeons. Um, but it might have been for another reason. But I think it was mainly to stop him from chopping the heads off the pigeons. But hmm. So that's where she got it. And then I believe she put that in the milk. It didn't work. It's kind of hard. you got to know how much arsenic to use. And arsenic's usually a build-up process. you got to be poisoning people for a while. Right. I was going to say, yeah. So she went, ran to five different drugstores uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday. And now we're up to, you know, it's Wednesday, one day before the murders. And she finally takes the gloves off and runs up the street to the drugstore and says, I need prussic acid. I want to buy 10 cents worth of prussic acid. That'll kill you in two seconds. It's cyanide. It's what they use right. in the gas chamber. And he wouldn't sell it to her. So now she's down to a hatchet. Because poison is a woman's choice, you know, for murder. It's, it's mm -hmm. consistent. You don't even have to be there when it happens. But a hatchet? That's up close and personal. In fact, the first blow caught abby right in the cheek which means she was facing her so she literally had to hit abby while she was looking right at her and i think that might be part of the reason why she chickened out about killing her dad once you've done it and you realize oh my god this is hard i i don't think she wanted to go through with it and kill her dad mm -hmm. this is one thing taking a hatchet to him is something else he just happened That's to come home. Like you say, he happened to come home too early, wrong place at the wrong time. Abby died an hour and a half before he did. Abby died at 9.30, and he came home about 10.40 and was dead right around 11 o'clock. So it was an hour and a half between, which gave her a lot of time to be doing mm -hmm. things. As far as what she did with Andrew, I believe, because everyone saw her literally 10 minutes after Mm -hmm. Not a speck of blood on her. He was almost six feet tall, and he always wore his Prince Albert coat, even in the in the summer. And he would hang it on the hall tree or hang it in the dining room where he kept things. And I think she put that on. He's laying there nodding off. And as short as she was, mm -hmm. it would have covered her completely. It's a double-breasted thing. And you put the collar up, and the sleeves probably came down over her hands because he's almost six feet tall. You're not going to get much blood on you. In fact, most of it shot forward because she hit the jugular, and it was the arterial spray. Mm -hmm. Sorry, is this too much? <laughs> no, we're good. Keep going. This is why I've lost all my... What crowds love this stuff. But there was very little where the murderer would have been standing. There were a few drops of back splatter on the parlor door behind her mm -hmm. and she leaned in around the door so she already learned from abby what to do and what not to do i don't you take in the oh, so here's the best part the coat was found rolled up underneath andrew's bloody head so now if blood's found on it it's because it's from his wounds 
Of course. It's beautiful. It's she is highly intelligent, obviously. And then so she may have had, to, you know, a couple of drops, but literally I don't think there was much cleanup involved. Yeah. Man, she was highly intelligent. Nobody gives her credit for that. Really, really intelligent. Very intelligent, very cold. Mm -hmm. uh, what got her in trouble when the police came that day, they thought this not acting right. She's not crying. She's not upset. She's actually acting put out that we're talking to her. Their first clue that set up red flags was how icy she was. She didn't want them in her bedroom at all. And um, one of the head, the, the head policemen went out to the marshal who was out in the barn. He goes, I don't like this girl. <laughs> Something's wrong here. She's not acting right. And then she couldn't even keep up with the lies. They were coming so fast and furious that uh, she just, I mean, she was everywhere. Well, it's funny. It's not funny. I'm just saying, it, you know, when you're in the middle of that, dude, you know, killing somebody like that, and like you say, to calculate the thing with with the coat, I mean, that, it's it's hard to imagine because your adrenaline's pumping, you're, you're trying to get stuff done, you're trying to do this, but yet you got enough, you know, Find yourself to take the coat off and roll it up and put it under somebody's head. Well, exactly. And partly why I believe that she took the sleeves off the Bedford Court dress in order to put the other one over it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the murders are Thursday. Uh, Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they tore the house apart. They did five searches. In fact, when the family left for the funeral, the police were there the minute the buggy turned the corner to tear apart the bedrooms to look under Lizzie's mattress and everything. So she had to have worn the dress even under her funeral clothes um, because they never found the stained Bedford cord dress mm -hmm. everywhere. And so Saturday night, they're back from the funeral and the marshal comes over with the mayor and said, look, there's a thousand people and there's a lot of people. It was anywhere from 500 to 1,000 people standing around that house. And he said, due to the crowds, don't go out. Just mm -hmm. stay here. And she goes, this one of us suspected. And he kind of tried to dodge it. And she goes, I want the truth. This one of us suspected. He goes, well, I hate to tell you this, but yes, Miss Borden, you are suspected. And she goes, I'll go now. And he said, that, that won't be necessary, but just please don't leave the house. Mm -hmm. Now they have blatantly said, we suspect you. Sunday morning, um, their friend Alice has been staying with them to kind of help out through all of this. They've had breakfast. Emma's at the kitchen sink doing the dishes, and Alice has been taking dishes, drying them, putting them back where they belong in the dining room. She comes around the corner, and this is her testimony. She saw Lizzie pulling down pieces of a dress from the kitchen cupboard. And the pieces is what really stuck out in my mind, because I mm -hmm. do believe there were pieces. I think she kind of tore off the things that were going to bother that. And so, first of all, it's a full skirt, though. The skirt's mm -hmm. not pieces, and she's putting it into the fire and Alice goes, what are you doing? And she goes, Oh, I'm just going to burn this old dress. It's got paint all over it. And Alice literally 
freaks out, turns around, goes back in the dining room like, I did not just see that. Right. She comes back a few minutes later, and that's when she said she saw her pulling more pieces. Even though she'd burned an entire skirt without tearing it up. Mm-hmm. I'll bet it was the sleeves, and I'll bet it was the one-inch hem that would have been too long under the dress. And she starts burning that. And Alice said, Lizzie, that could be the worst thing you could have done. And there's police right there. They're right outside the screen door and the window if they'd looked in. And Lizzie said, why didn't you stop me? Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, that the fact that she did it the very next morning after they told her she was suspected. She's been right. wearing that dress now for three days underneath the other one. She's probably worried they could come get me at any minute to take me to jail and they're going to see that other dress underneath. Mm-hmm. You got to get rid of it now. And that's what I believe. Once you're in jail, they put you in those old gray things that they wore back then. They would have taken her clothes from her and she had to burn it. She had to get rid of it. Um, again, getting back to people that probably have an inkling of what she had done, you know, from what we've been talking about, Emma kind of had an inkling of what you know what would have happened. What about Alice? Because I mean, here she sees her burning the piece of the dress. Does she think that Lizzie might have done this? Yeah, that was a hard thing. Alice had been their friend's friend for a long, 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 long time. Mm-hmm. She was closer to Emma's age. She stayed that one last night. She stayed Sunday night. She'd stayed with them since Thursday, and she left and never came back. And during the, there was the inquest and there was the preliminary hearing. Then there was a grand jury to decide if it should go to trial. Mm -hmm. And Alice was living with this. She hadn't said anything yet. I mean, all those months. And finally it was getting to her because the grand jury recessed for Thanksgiving and it looked like they were going to let Lizzie go. She'd been in jail all that time. And Alice couldn't live with her conscience anymore. And she asked the grand jury if they could please reconvene. And she told them about the dress. And it was that that caused the Superior Court trial. Lizzie was hoping to go home and be home for Christmas. But the trial Mm -hmm. wasn't until the next June. So she stayed in jail all that. She was in jail altogether 10 months. And they never spoke to Alice again. And they, I mean, the friendship was gone. But she tried. I mean, she tried to keep it in and she just couldn't do it anymore. So, Interesting. I, yeah, they lost, they lost so, quite a few friends. Um, but then she was acquitted mm-hmm. because they couldn't figure out a motive. They had not figured out the horse deal. Uh, they didn't find a will. They thought that would be the smoking gun. And it turned out, which was really odd for a businessman like Andrew, he hadn't made a will. So they thought, where's the motive? Plus, Mm -hmm. she's Gordon, which was a big name in that town. She was a church worker, charity, a little lady who you can't picture taking a hatchet to somebody 18 times and then 11 to your father. So they, they let her go. She and Emma got there. A lot of money. Um, back then, that was probably worth $3 million today that they got. Right. And she got her house on. Um, they moved into Maplecroft. And it's about 10 minutes from the, the murder house, from the Lindsay Gordon bed and breakfast. 
totally different world. It's where all the socialites live. Gorgeous place. I've spent six nights there. Um, so she got what she wanted, but mm-hmm. then ostracized. Nobody wanted anything to do with her. So it was almost like being in prison, but just nicer surroundings. I mean, her sister stayed with her, you know, after all this went down. I mean, were there any odd feelings you know, between her and her sister? Yeah, they, Emma just wanted, Emma had always been quiet anyway. She wasn't, didn't want the same things Lizzie did. She was happy to just have a comfortable home, have her friends. She had a lot of friends. But Lizzie wanted something bigger and better. She went on the grand tour of Europe. Emma didn't. So I think once they moved into Maplecroft, Emma's just going, let's just be quiet. This has been awful. I mean, it made world news. And when you think of the fact that Jack the Ripper just made headlines only four years before this murder, that's kind of... So it was worldwide news. So anyway, but Lizzie wasn't going to do that. She was very Mm -hmm. stubborn. And she started throwing parties. And she loved the theater, and she would go to the theater in Boston and go up to New York. And back then, actresses were considered one step above a prostitute. It was a whole different thing back then. If you hung out with actresses, that is not great. And she invited them back to Maplecroft. She threw big parties um, for Nance O'Neill, who was a celebrated actress, stage actress at the time. And Emma's mortified. I mean, Emma, you can picture her just hiding out in her bedroom or taking off to go stay with her friends. She did not want that. She wanted them to leave a quiet life. Then it comes out that Lizzie has stolen from an expensive jewelry store in Providence, Rhode Island, and they pretty much brought it back to her doorstep. She actually, I think, returned the thing she stole. So she's getting these headlines. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, um, and I'll give credit to Parallel Lives, an amazing book that was written by the curators at the Fall River Historical Society. They pointed out, and they did come right out and point the finger at her, but four different residences within close proximity to Lizzie's Maplecroft home were burglarized. And the police came out and said a lady did it. They said they could tell it was a female and the things that were missing from her neighbor across the street were things that she had been obvious about coveting. They were those silver souvenir spoons, and they had just had the big Chicago World's Fair. Mm-hmm. And that's where they kind of introduced them, and people went crazy for them. That's what was missing from her friend's house across the street, along with some other things. And then fires started breaking out at all of her father's properties that he owned downtown Fall River. And she'd made it clear before that she didn't want to be a landlord. She just wanted the money. I'm not saying, but nine different properties that were in her and her sister's name, and they got the insurance when they burned down. So all I'm saying is she didn't sit up there at Maplecroft and knit booties. Um, And she was the first person to drive a car first female to, to drive a big fancy car through town waving and Emma's just like, can't we please just put cars upstairs and not do all of this stuff? They would actually, and this is sad, uh, the tour people would actually drive a car past her home, stop, and for a penny, 
point out the house and say, this is where the famous Lizzie Borden lives that killed her. It was horrible. Can you mm -hmm. imagine looking out the window and seeing that and hearing it? Wow. They, did, they didn't have a quiet life. Um, after a while and a lot of speculation, there was even a rumor that Lizzie was having an affair with the actress Nance O'Neill. But at some point, Emma couldn't take it anymore. She moved out. And it must have okay. been because they didn't talk for the rest of their lives. These sisters that have been so close right. had been there for her all along the way. They never spoke again. And the really odd part was they died uh, nine or ten days apart. Hmm. Emma was ten years older than Lizzie. And Lizzie died. And Emma died nine or ten days later. It's just one of those weird stories. Emma was living in New Hampshire by then. So, how long did it take you to write this book? It took five years to research and probably another year to write it. And it's full of photographs. And I had to get permission from the Fall River Historical Society and went around getting the photographs for the book. There are a lot of pictures in there that hadn't been seen before. And I, I, when I write a book, I want it to be the most comprehensive book I can write. So any of the books I write, I always get the permission first from the owners of the mm -hmm. venues. And they've always been generous in sharing documents with me, diaries, maps, photographs. And I don't take that lightly. I, I'm very humbled and grateful that they trust me to tell their story. So I, I'm, I'm proud of the book. And... It's just one of those stories you can't look away from. It's so odd. Oh, it is odd. And, you know, just there's just so much different things going on with it. Like you did all this research and, you know, found those three, the, the, the three axes and all this stuff. You know, they're always finding new things for this. It's not cut and dry. You know, I mean, you even had, I was watching a TV show where they had Mark Furman of old people, you know, looking at the evidence for this case. But it's just fascinating, like talking with you and seeing and seeing it from your perspective, because the police, like you say, with, with the whole thing with the dresses, the police wouldn't have thought about that. See, here you're a woman, and, and you look at it from a female perspective. Exactly. And if your if your listeners are wondering, wait a minute, where's the third hatchet? She said mm -hmm. they did find another big hatchet in the basement that was new. It was the blade was way too big to have been the murder weapon, but it was wet. And it had been wiped down. And I think that Lizzie used that, the back of it, the blunt part of it, to whack the hatchet she used to murder her father because they found it broken. She, she tried to make it look like it couldn't have been used as a weapon. So she broke it, rolled it and got it wet, rolled it in coal dust to make it look dusty and threw it up in a box of old tools so that if someone did find it, they go, well, that can't be the weapon. And I think it was that third hatchet she used to whack it, to mm -hmm. it, to break it so it looked broken. Interesting. So what's next for you? I'm working on a true crime book right now. Um, it's hitting the headlines. It's the Pam Hupp story out of St. Louis. Renee Zellweger is going to be playing her February of next year, 2022. And, she, and uh, it's going to be an NBC miniseries. And it is one of the most insane stories I've ever heard. I've been kind of working with the detectives and the prosecuting attorney, and they've been kind to share things with me. And uh, 
it's a, it's an incredible story. So the book should be out by mid November or by mid December at the latest. So it'll be out for Christmas. <laughs> I have learned so I have learned so much from you tonight that I had no clue about this Lizzie Borden case. I mean, this is crazy. Thank you so Je much. Jennifer Martin in the chat room points out this is great. You don't get all this. All, the, all all these details on, on on the ghost hunt shows. Well, it's so kind of you to invite me on because I do enjoy talking about it, as you can tell. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're com you're completely correct. I, there will always be new theories. I don't know that there'll be any new evidence. Um, and I did I did like Mark Furman's show. I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. But absolutely, I, Charlotte. I I think your show is amazing, and I so much appreciate you having me. Well, I thank you for coming on. I would like to get, have you on again to talk about your other books. I would love that. This was fantastic. I, I told you the Pam Hupp story, you'd fall out of your chair. Absolutely. Thank Let's you. do that. Let's make a plan to do that, okay? That sounds great to me. Happy Thanksgiving. You too. Have a good evening. Thank you, sweetie. Bye -bye. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was really cool, you guys. I learned a lot. I can honestly say that as a reporter, my gosh, I'm going to be digesting that. I'm going to have to get this book. I mean, this is fantastic. Um, I want to thank you all for coming. I'll have the information for her website and the book coming up here before the end of the show. I just want to remind everybody, Sunday night, 6 p.m. Pacific, I'm going to read from Dickens' A Christmas Carol, and I want to do this leading up to Christmas. Okay, so we're going to get to do that. And uh, so I'm going to read at least three or four chapters to see how we do. It's an e-book, so it's probably shorter than the regular Dickens book. But um, this was fantastic. I, just so much more, like, like, like Jennifer said, there's so much more information about this case than what you normally see on TV, you know, in the different specials. So I'm just flabbergasted by, by what was in this book. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Man, that was Thank you so much, Jennifer, for that comment. Thank you so much, Rebecca, because this this, this was great. Just great. Um, you know, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five more people. <laughs> We're equal opportunity here. You know, we want to keep getting the word out for this show. And you guys are. You're doing a great job getting this word out. Um, YouTube, again, you know, we don't have a dedicated URL yet, but we're getting there, okay? Um, we're getting members by the day, and if you can uh, possibly share the info on this show to other people, because we want to get as many you know, YouTube subscribers as possible. Easy way to do that is to go over to our website. I have set the website up now so that you can actually watch these uh, shows live. So go over there at www.CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com, and the video is right on the front page there, and you can click on it. Either watch it on, 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 on the show page or you can watch it on YouTube. But, you know, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube yet, I encourage you to do so because we have a lot of good shows. You know, we go back almost two years. And then if you remember, you know, like I told you guys, the show goes back about 10 years because we were on Block Talk Radio for a long time. But uh, I love bringing these shows to you guys. It's, it's, it's fantastic, especially when we get guests on like we had tonight where we can learn something. You know, where we learn something new that we didn't know before, right? You know, anyway, so do that. And, uh, you know, as you can see, I've got a ticker running along the bottom of the, of the page there. You know, California Haunts is a nonprofit organization. And uh, everything we make goes into buying equipment for the team, you know, so we can go help people with their ghosts or for the show. You know, really the Internet, um, StreamYard, the mics that I use, the, the EQs and everything else that I use comes out of my pocket. 
and uh, it gets real expensive after a while. So, you know, if you guys can find it in your heart to donate a little bit to, to us, that would be great. PayPal.me at California Haunts. Monday, we are going to have Seth Showstack on, who is going to tell us about communicating with other worlds. He works for SETI. So he's going to be talking about the SETI program and stuff. So he's going to be on with us Monday. But again, come back Sunday. Don't forget, Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. I'm going to be reading from, from uh, Dickens Christmas Carol. So I want to thank you guys for coming. And I'm going to go ahead and tease uh, right now. We're going to tease the book and everything. And here we go. So you can reach Rebecca at her, her website at RebeccaFPittmanBooks.com. And, of course, it's the history and haunting of Lizzie Borden. But she also has written several other books that you guys will probably be interested in. And those can be purchased at, as usual, Amazon. Okay? So there you go. So you guys, you know, if you play this back, if you, if you want to get a hold of Rebecca or you want to buy and you know, purchase a book, there you have it. It's right there for you. So anyway, I will see you guys Sunday so we can read from Dickens and grab, I want you to grab some hot cocoa, get by the fire, do whatever you do because we're going holiday. So we're going to read from a Christmas carol because, you know, we do ghosts, it's a ghost story. So we're going to do that. Anyway, I want to thank you guys. Have a good uh, couple days. I will see you Sunday at, at uh, almost at noon at 6 p.m. Pacific.